right, there we go. I am I am very excited about this series. You know, we have uh, we've all said Jesus is Lord and devoted our lives to Him, and I think it's good for us to take some time to just look at Him. There are so many different things that Jesus is doing or has done for us. Uh, as we talked about this series, we had a long list of of roles that Jesus has played. And you're going to see some of those because I'm going to give you the schedule here in a few minutes. Uh, but there's so many different roles that he plays or or things that he does or things that he is. And we were picking off that list. We didn't cover them all in this two-month series. And so Jesus is amazing. And I think it's going to be great for us to take a couple of months just to look at Jesus. And I hope that we'll all spend some time not just on Sunday and on midweek, but in our times in the Word, just looking at Jesus and getting to know him better. Uh, before I begin, I do want to give a, a little shout out to Vinny DeLuca, who 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 made this awesome uh, background for us. Good job, uh, Vinny. It's awesome. It's a beautiful uh, template for us to, to work off of. All right. So here we go. Because I know that some of you are going to try to write all this down. Some of you are going to take lots of pictures. But I'll tell you up front, if you want these notes, I will give them to you. All you have to do is email me and say, can I have those notes? And I will email them back. Now, here's what happens sometimes. People start putting their email in the chat, and I won't see it. So please, don't do that. Email me instead. Okay? Are we ready? We're going to start with this scripture out of the ESV. Here's what it says. Luke chapter 2 verse 8 through 11. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Now, you may have noticed that word behold in there, right? It's not a word we use a lot, but it is part of our theme, right? Behold the Savior. I want to look at this again in the NIV, and I want to call your attention especially to verse 10. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will be... Will will cause great joy for all the people. Notice the word behold is not in there. And I I point this out because I think here, the word that modern translation, we don't really use the word behold that often, right? What does the word even mean? Okay. Uh, in the Greek, it, I have the, the Greek over here. It's, it, it's the word idu. It means, as you can see, behold. The Greek... English lexicon of New Testament words defines edu like this. It's a prompter of attention, a marker of strong emphasis, okay? And so what I want us to understand is that, you know, we don't really use that word now. I'll give you an example, right? I want you to, I'm going to use Larry as an example here. I want you to imagine we're waiting for Larry. Now, the reason that I'm using Larry is because Larry's never late, okay? Uh, he's usually waiting for us, right? You go, you get, I get there early sometimes. Larry's already there. Okay. So imagine we're waiting for Larry and then Larry arrives. We wouldn't say, behold, Larry arrives. We wouldn't say that in our modern English. We would say, hey, Larry's here. 
But I think the translators don't want to go have angels going, hey, there's a savior, right? It, it doesn't really carry the same weight. And so I think they leave it out. But I want us to, they, they use that word in the Greek because it's a prompter of attention. It's a marker of emphasis, right? The angels are telling the shepherds to go see the Savior and pay careful attention to him. And that's what I hope we can do over the next two months, that we can really pay careful attention to that Savior that was born, right, that we just celebrated last month, that we can can pay careful attention to him over these next two months, and always, obviously, but that we can really dig deep and look close at this Savior. So here's the schedule, okay, if you're curious. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing because it's two months worth of schedule, but I do want to point out a couple things, okay. Notice uh, this this Sunday, it's already been mentioned, we have the worship and praise service, but hey, who are we going to worship and praise? Our Savior, right? And then we're going to come back next week, next Wednesday. Bobby's going to going to do a lesson on Jesus, the light of the world. So if you're wondering what all of our titles are, there's there's half of them. OK, and notice on Sunday, the 14th, the 21st, the 28th. OK, you're going to those of you in the northeast, those of us and those of you in the northwest, you're going to get the same lesson from two different people. Right. And so we're going to get the same stuff. Uh, notice that on the 28th, the Northwest is in life teams. I don't want any life team leaders to panic. Uh, you will be given an outline about Jesus, the way, uh, the truth and the life. Okay. For you to use as your lesson. And also, you know, this is really a teaching ministry thing that we're doing, but notice there, there are a lot of names on here that haven't been a part of the teaching ministry. So you think that this series is kind of brought to you by the teaching ministry and friends. Okay. We're, we're we're expanding the scope a little bit to include a few other people. So there's the January schedule. Here's the February schedule. Okay. Notice on the on February 4th, we're all going to be together. We're going to hear that guy, Phil, Phil Garrison, right? Is going to teach us about Jesus the storyteller. And you can see in the other weeks you have different two different brothers in each region um, giving the same message. Uh and on the 18th, that one in the Northwest is yet to be determined, but it will be long before then. So don't panic. Okay. Uh, notice on the 25th uh, in the Northeast, uh, Russ Murdoch is going to be one landing the plane because the sabbatical will be over. The Murdochs will, will be back with us and he's going to kind of bring it home in the Northeast with Jesus, our suffering savior. Okay. So that's the tentative schedule here. But tonight we're going to talk about Behold the Savior, Jesus, the Son of Man. All right? You guys ready to go? I can only see three of you, but uh, I'm going to take it that you guys are ready to go. Okay? So let's go. We're going to start in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. And that little THT there is, that means it's the Tom Hughes translation. This is my own translation from the Greek. Uh, feel free to compare it to your favorite translation, because um, hopefully they'll be pretty similar. So here we go. One day as Jesus was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there. They had come from all of the villages of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem. Jesus was healing people with the power of the Lord. Men came carrying a man on a mat 
the man was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him to see Jesus. They could not find a way to get him through the crowd, so they went up to the top of the house and lowered him down through the roof tiles on his mat in the middle of everything and right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees begin to discuss among themselves, Who is this that speaks such blasphemy? Who has the power to forgive sins except God alone? Knowing what they were thinking, Jesus said to them, Why are you thinking this way in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. But so that you can know that while on the earth the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, Jesus tells the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately in front of everyone, the man got up, picked up his mat, and left for home, giving glory to God. Everyone there was utterly amazed and glorified God. They were filled with awe, saying, we have just witnessed something incredible. All right, so this is this is the story we're going to look at as we examine what does Jesus mean when he calls himself the Son of Man. What does that mean? Okay, so let's focus on verse 24 for just a minute. Jesus says, so that you can know that while on the earth, the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. Okay, this is the first time that that Jesus uses this title, in the book of Luke anyway, in reference to himself. But he uses it a lot. He uses it 25 times just in Luke. That's more than once a chapter. Okay, this is the first time. And what we want to examine tonight is, first of all, what does that mean? Because he calls himself that a lot. What does it mean? And what did it mean to his audience when he actually said it right there? And see if there's some takeaways that we can take from it, some valuable lessons that we can learn. Okay? So, here we go. We're going to have a little bit of Greek, a little bit of Hebrew, and a little bit of Aramaic. Okay? You ready for this? In the Greek. ha huios to anthropu. That's what I actually translated into the Son of Man uh, when I did the translation, okay? This phrase is used a lot in the Old Testament, so you can really be sure that the audience that Jesus was speaking to was familiar with it. And it's used a lot in Ezekiel, where God calls Ezekiel Ben-Adam, the Son of Man, right? Um, Ben is son, Adam is man, Son of Man. And he calls Ezekiel that a lot. But most likely when Jesus refers to himself as son of man, he's making reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And we're going to look at those verses in just a minute. Interestingly enough, that part of Daniel was not written in Hebrew. It was written in Aramaic. Okay, And most historians believe that the language that Jesus was speaking when he actually said this, the common ordinary language of the day in Judea and Galilee was Aramaic. So Jesus, when he says it, he didn't say it in Greek or Hebrew. Most likely he said it in Aramaic. The Aramaic phrase, and the one that Daniel uses, is bar anash, son of man. The definition, according to the concise Hebrew and Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament, Bar means son, and Anash means mankind. So Jesus wasn't saying, I'm the son of a man. Okay, quite honestly, so am I, right? 
he's not saying I'm the son of a man. He is saying, calling himself a son of humanity. I'm the son of mankind. Okay. Now, I know this gets confusing. Okay. Jesus said something in Aramaic that was recorded in Greek, then translated into English. And then for some of you who are, it's being translated into Spanish, you got yet another layer there. Okay. But just stick with me that Jesus is saying, I'm the Bar Anash. I'm the son of man. Because this is important as we see and learn what Jesus is talking about when he calls himself this. Okay. You ready? Okay. Let's look at Daniel chapter seven together. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. Daniel has a vision, and he says, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And so you can see on the side there, somebody tried to sort of, as best they could, visualize, give us a visual of what that must have looked like in his vision. Okay? So let's go on to chapter, uh, to Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And this is what Jesus is likely making reference to. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Pay attention to this part, okay? He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All the nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this is what Daniel's vision, this is what it says about the Son of Man. I want to pay particular attention to the things that the Son of Man is given. All right, so a couple of questions we want to try to answer here. Who is the Ancient of Days? Well, it's kind of obvious that the Ancient of Days is God, based on the eternal nature of God, right? You guys see that? Okay. And we want to answer this question. What did the Ancient of Days give to the Son of Man? Or what did he give to the Bar Anash? Four things that it mentions. It mentions authority. It mentions glory. It mentions sovereign power. Now, I put a note there just to make sure we understand what kind of power the Son of Man or the Bar Anash is being given. Not just any old power. He's being given sovereign power, which means unlimited in context or absolute. The Son of Man is being given how much power? All power. Absolute power over everything. That's important here. And he's also being given an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. So the Son of Man is given those four things by the Ancient of Days. That's the vision of Daniel. Okay, so when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, He's saying more than, I'm a human being. He's saying, I am Bar Anash. I'm the guy that God has given authority and power. This is important, okay? Remember, how much power was he given? All of it. Absolute power. Because we have to understand, okay, so he was given authority. But that authority only means something sometimes if you have the power to back it up. 
Okay. I'm going to make up a story for you. Okay. This story is completely made up. Okay. So I don't want you to think badly of me. All right. I want you to pretend that we're all together at Clifton High School. Okay. All of us are together. And I come in and I am just belligerent. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm hitting people. I'm kicking people. Uh, you know, I'm insulting the sisters. I'm making the kids cry. I'm kicking puppies if, if we had puppies at church. You know, I'm just belligerent. And so the leaders get together, Phil and Russ and Larry and Chuck. They all get together and they huddle up and say, we have to do something about Tom. Tom can't be here and act this way. So they they anoint or appoint Spain, right? We know Spain. Spain's a personal fitness trainer, right? And we say, Spain, we give you authority. We need you to go deal with Tom. So Spain comes to me and says, Tom, I've been given authority. I'm asking you to leave. If I'm particularly belligerent that day, what am I going to do? I'm going to lean in real close to Spain and I'm going to say, make me. Now, I chose Spain for a reason, right? I concede Spain is stronger than I am by far, okay? And so I'm challenging him to make me. Well, Spain can make me. Spain, not that he would want to do that, and I'm not trying to get him hired as the church bouncer or anything like that, right? Nor, again, would I ever act this way. But Spain could physically remove me from Clifton High School, right? He had the authority and the power. Do you see how that works together? Okay, if we flip the roles and Spain was the belligerent one and they invested that authority in me, I don't think I have the power to do it. I would have to get help, okay? I'd say, yeah, sure, Phil, I'll do it, but you got to come with me, okay? And so, I mean, we see how that works, right? The authority is great, but it's better if you have the power to back it up. Okay? You guys get that idea, right? Okay. And so, understanding that, okay, his audience, the Pharisees and the teachers of law and everybody else that was there, they would recognize most likely, especially the Pharisees and the teachers of law, they would recognize what Jesus is saying when he calls himself Bar Anash. Okay? They were learned in the word, right, in the Old Testament. All right, so now we get that. Let's come back to our story. Jesus is in a house. He's teaching people. He's doing what Jesus does. Four men come along, well, five men come along, and the fifth one is, who's being carried by the other four is paralyzed. They want to get him to Jesus, but they can't. So they climb up onto the roof, tear a hole in the roof, and lower him down right in front of everybody, right in front of Jesus. And Jesus responds to this guy by saying, friend, your sins are forgiven. Okay. Jesus, it's interesting to note that Jesus forgives the man of his sins while he was still laying there paralyzed, and he hadn't done the miracle yet. He hadn't done anything to back up such a claim. He knew what the Pharisees were going to say. Jesus understood that the Pharisees were going to respond exactly the way that they did. But this all sets Jesus up to perform an incredible miracle. So the Pharisees, they start talking to each other, right? Who is it that speaks such blasphemy? 
Who has the power to forgive sins except God alone? Now, we got to understand this, though. What the Pharisees are saying would be true if they were talking about anyone else. Okay? If I were to say, friend, your sins are forgiven. Well, yeah, that would be blasphemy. Because I don't have that kind of power. No one, and they're right when, when, when they say this. No one has the power to forgive sin except God alone. But what they didn't understand was they were actually dealing with God in the flesh. And so they leveled this charge against Jesus. Blasphemy. So, what does that word mean? Let's make sure we understand. Blasphemy was a charge that was taken very seriously. Ultimately, that was the charge that was leveled against Jesus that led to his crucifixion. Uh, here's how Daryl Bach uh, defines it. And in one of the commentaries I've looked at as I've, as I've studied Luke, he defines it this way. It is an overt defilement of the defined name. That is, abusive speech or action directed toward God. Okay? Someone claiming to be God or to have God's power is blasphemy unless that person actually is God. Okay? Then it's not blasphemy. Then it's, it's just truth. But for anyone else, someone who's not God, to make such a claim, that's blasphemy. And in Jesus' day, blasphemy carried with it a death sentence. Okay. So Jesus making a claim to have the authority to forgive sins is a very bold claim. But remember, we're talking about authority and power, right? He's claiming all authority and all power. So he backs up his authority with a demonstration of his power. He knows what's going on. He probably knew this would happen before he even did anything, right? He knows that the, the critics are questioning his claim to be able to forgive sins. So he says to them, which one is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Well, there's only one of them you can actually witness, right? You don't, you know, we've probably, most of them have seen lots of baptisms over the years. But have we ever actually witnessed the sin being forgiven? I mean, does something happen in the water where things flow out of the person? I've never seen anything like that. So you don't actually see the sins being forgiven. We take that on faith. But you would be able to witness a man that was paralyzed suddenly getting up and walking away. We would be able to, to, to notice that. Okay, We would be able to perceive that. And chances are they knew this guy. And they knew that he'd been paralyzed for a long time. And so they would understand what a great miracle this was. So Jesus, in order to prove his authority to forgive sins, heals the man right in front of them all. Okay, so the man is healed. What does this mean? His audience likely is going to think, well, this must be from God. Therefore, if he's working with the finger of God, if God is working through him, he must be from God. The fact that the man... Um, paralyzed man immediately obeyed, got up, picked up his mat, and went home, lends credence to the idea that Jesus may actually have the authority to forgive sins. Okay? 
All right. So Jesus' actions force his audience to make a decision about him one way or the other. This is logic, right? Either Jesus is from God or he isn't. There's no in-between there. Either he is God or he isn't. Again, no in-between. And here's what I want us to think about. On this particular day, as people in their minds are going, is this guy from God or not? Jesus makes a really strong case that he is from God. Okay? They wanted to argue. They wanted to say, this is blasphemy. But Jesus makes such a strong case by healing this man that there was nothing for them to argue. What could they say? No, he didn't really heal that man? Well, they know he did. Okay. So I did this. Okay. I went through the book of Luke and I, I put some scriptures to some of these places where we see the Son of Man who has been given authority and some of the ways that he shows that he has power. Okay? And this is not an exhaustive list, but here's some of the ways that we see Jesus in the book of Luke use his authority and use his power. We see several times that he has power over demons. We see in, in Luke 4, he heals uh, Peter's mother-in-law has a power over fever. He has power over fish. Okay? They threw out their nets. Okay? Hadn't caught anything. They throw out their nets. Jesus makes it full of fish. Right? He's got power over fish. He has power over leprosy. He has power over distance. Right? In Luke 7, you see uh, the, the centurion comes and asks Jesus to heal someone. Jesus doesn't even go to his house. He just Takes care of it over a long distance. We see that he has the power over death, right? He raises uh, the widow's son and raises uh, the daughter of the uh, Jairus's daughter. He has power over wind and water. Okay, he can control the wind. He can control the water. Uh, he has power over the laws of science. The, Luke 9 is where he feeds the 5,000. Okay, I'm not going to try to explain the chemistry and the physics of, of breaking one piece of bread and feeding 5,000 people. Okay, we would have to break it up into very, very tiny pieces of bread, right? But Jesus didn't do that. He, he actually ended up with more bread than he started with. Okay, that defies the laws of chemistry and physics and the laws of science. He had power over that. Uh, in Luke 14, uh, he had power over abnormal swelling. This guy... Uh, has what's called an edema, right? Or at the time it was called dropsy. And uh, Jesus healed it. He had the power over severed body parts, right? You guys know Luke 22, he cut, Peter cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus heals it. He has power over his own death, even. Okay? Jesus had power over everything. I keep saying had like it's past tense. I'm sorry. Jesus has power over everything. Okay, but and notice this in Luke in Luke um, ten in Luke in verse nine seventeen, he has the power to give his power to other people. He takes his 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 apostles and gives them the power and the authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. It's not like he can just. Uh, it's not like he has all that power to himself. He can give it to other people. That's pretty amazing. All right, here's another one. Jesus is stronger than the strong man. Now, I want us to look at Luke 11 together. 
most of the the uh, biblical text is right in here. We're going to actually read this one uh, out, out of the Bible here uh, from the NIV. Luke eleven fourteen to twenty two. Jesus is driving out a demon that or Jesus was driving out a demon that was m- mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, By Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebul. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, here's where I want us to really focus, right? When the strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. Okay, so he's all. this is all within the context of talking about they're accusing him of being in league with Satan. So then he's he's saying, no, I'm not in league with Satan. I'm more powerful than Satan. So who's the strong man? Satan is. When when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Yeah, Satan is strong. He's the strong man, but who's stronger? Who's the stronger man? Jesus is, okay? He's more powerful than Satan. Sometimes we can think of uh, Satan as Jesus's evil counterpart, but he's not. He's not on the same level as Jesus. Satan, yeah, he's powerful, but he doesn't have all power. Jesus does. And we need to remember that because, you know, we get tempted a lot, okay? But Jesus is the stronger man. The son, the ancient of days has given the son of man all authority and all power over everything. Okay, so my conclusion to the story. So I'm going to be landing the plane here pretty soon. All right. My conclusion about the story is that Jesus was not blaspheming. Okay. He had been given power and authority to forgive sins. So the people that were there, they had to make a decision. Were they going to buy into this or not? Were they going to believe that he was the Bar Anash? Were they going to buy in that he is the Son of Man who has all power and all authority or not? And some of them probably did and some of them probably didn't. We have the same decision to make. Will we trust in the Son of Man? Will we trust the Bar Anash, the one who's been given all authority and all power and therefore give him glory? That's a decision we all have to make every day. All right, some food for thought, okay? Here's a question. How do you kill someone who has all authority and all power? And the answer is, you don't. For someone with that kind of power, they can only be killed if they allow this to happen to them. Because he had power. He could have stopped everything. All right. I want to share one more thing with you. And then I'm going to, just about done here. Okay. Uh, this previous slide was my previous ending. 
But then I studied this yesterday and I thought, I'm just going to add this to the end because it just, it amazed me. Okay. I hope it amazes you too. In Luke chapter 22, verses 24 to 26, Jesus has just shared with his apostles that one of them was going to betray him. So what do they naturally do? They, they try to figure out who it is, and it turns into an argument about which one of them was going to be the greatest. Okay, that was sort of the direction they went often, right? So here, here you go. It says, then they started arguing about which of them was considered to be the greatest. Then Jesus told them. The kings of nations lorded over their people, and those who have authority are called benefactors. But you are not to be like this. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the leader must be like those who serve. Okay. So what's going on? The apostles are arguing about which one of them is the greatest. I can imagine it went something like this. Well, I do know this. The one who's going to betray him is not me. I would never do that. Okay. Because you guys know I'm more devoted to Jesus than anyone. But then soon it snowballs into, no, no, I'm greatest. Jesus cuts that argument off and starts talking to them about what true greatness is. Jesus doesn't support the world's idea of greatness. In the world you had, they had these, these the kings who would lord it over people, you know, oppress people. Then these other people who had authority, they would sort of um, lord it over people, but expect to be called benefactors. They wanted people to, to, to talk about how great they were and how generous and kind they were. Jesus didn't support that idea of greatness at all. In his paradigm of greatness, the greatest serves. Okay, where are you going with this, Tom? Here's what I want you to think about. Jesus had all power and all authority. He could do anything he wanted. But when his life was on the line, he didn't use it. Instead, he allowed himself to be crucified and serve us in our time of need. For me, that's drop the mic material there, right? Boom. Jesus could do anything he wanted. He had the power and he had the authority to do whatever he wanted. But when it, when crunch time came, Jesus did not use it. Because, well, we needed him to not use it. We needed him to serve us and give himself for us. And that's my lesson. I hope you got some good things out of it. Uh, I do want to remind you, again, we're going to continue worshiping and praising Jesus on Sunday. And then come back next week when Bobby takes us uh, to and introduces us to Jesus, the light of the world.